We all know generative AI has exploded in the past uh, 12 months or more. Everybody is working towards an AI strategy to find out how they can disrupt markets without being disrupted themselves. But when everybody has access to these incredibly powerful foundation models and LLMs, your differentiation, your superpower is your data. But you have to organize that data in a way that's very easy, curated, clean, seamlessly uh, flows into models for training, for tuning and for prompting. And this is where an operational data layer how enables you to bring diverse data from across your organization into a single structure, which can then feed and prompt your models. Hi, everyone. My name is Matt Keep, and I'm looking forward to discussing our operational data layers with you. We'll talk about what they are, why you need them, how they work, and how you get started. Welcome back to the show. My name is Michael Lin, and this is the MongoDB Podcast. Today, we delve into a topic that's transforming the way businesses handle their data, the Operational Data Layer, or ODL. Joining me once again is Matt Keep, a voice of authority in this domain. He's got insights that are reshaping our understanding of data management. In our conversation, we're going to uncover the intricacies of implementing an ODL, its impact on legacy systems, and how it's enabling businesses to scale and innovate at unprecedented speeds. Matt brings to light real-world examples, illustrating the transformative power of ODL in modernizing data infrastructures. From enhancing digital services to integrating AI effectively, we explore the multifaceted benefits of the operational data layer. Stay tuned. Well, Matt, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for the invitation. Really uh, keen to talk to you and to the audience. Yeah, it's great to have you back on the show. Well, today we're talking about implementing an operational data layer. It'd be good if we could start with a definition. Matt, what is an operational data layer? The best way to think about what an operational data layer is, is as database infrastructure that's deployed in front of back-end business systems. Oftentimes those are older systems. They could be mainframes. They could be older kind of legacy or heritage uh, relational databases. And what we're doing with this um, this infrastructure that's deployed in front of those systems is making data from those systems available to newer applications without disrupting those older systems. So where I first came across uh, an operational data layer, in fact, I've, you know, I've been with MongoDB for, for over a decade, and I started working on a project with uh, the UK government um, and their tax raising authority, an organization called HMRC, which stands for His Majesty's Revenue and Custom. And they have a lot of citizen data, tax data, business data that's been built up over many, many decades in their backend mainframe systems. Now, in no way are they going to replace those mainframe systems. They're incredibly valuable to the company. But as they were working towards making tax go digital and bring it online, there's no way they could scale those, those mainframe systems. They were with those systems, they were pushing like two updates a year. As they get into digital services, they're looking at pushing kind of two updates a day. So they're operating on a very different cadence, a very different velocity. And they now need to expose accounting data, tax data, and tax applications to, to millions of people online. And so rather than rip and replace those mainframe systems, which would have been a hugely complex and expensive project, what they do is augment them. So they took MongoDB in as this operational data layer in front of those uh, mainframe systems. They take data from those mainframes, put that in MongoDB, 
they build their digital um, tax services uh, on that MongoDB system. And then they keep those two systems in sync, sh sharing data with one another. But what's key is that they were able to implement these very new digital services, federate the data from those backend systems, but leave those backend systems running, untouched, continuing to serve the business. And so this is how we, we this, this is the, the you know, the value of an operational data layer, very often they're, they're valuable to organizations who have got a lot of backend, as I say, you know, older legacy systems, they're very often larger enterprises. So it's part of a modernization uh, process. So that's really what an operational data layer does. Uh, it's about yeah. bringing data from those systems and, and exposing it to new applications. What does it take to implement a service like this? Uh, the, the implementation, um, like anything, it's more than just technology. I talked about using MongoDB as, an, as, as this augmentation layer in front of those, those backend legacy systems. And that's certainly, you know, one part of it. But any project, as you know, Mike, from your experience working with a number of customers, it's a combination of people, process, and the product itself. Uh, and so depending on what you're really trying to do, um, you know, it's important uh, as you bring in these operational data layers, very often in front of these backend systems that have been running for years, you've got to bring your staff with you. Otherwise, the pro if you don't have their support, the project will fail. So really selling the vision of what you're trying to do, looking at what future state could be in like five to 10 years time, but then zooming into meaningful product projects and products that you can deliver in the next six months. Um, that really helps set the scope, set the goals of the project, get executive sponsorship and bring the team with you. So getting that, that people process, getting that people part is incredibly important. Then there's the process of actually building the ODL. And so we tend to think about that as a multi-step process from discovery, uh, where you're identifying all the data sources you want to work with, through to development, where you're doing things like designing your schema and figuring out how you're going to load data into the ODL, how fresh that data needs to be, through then to deployment, where you're going into actually building a system, going into test, and then, and then going live. There are a number of steps in each of those uh, three phases so through discovery, through development, and through deployment, which I'm happy to you know to walk you through. Um, not all of the sometimes those steps are more complex. So another big use case we see for ODL uh, beyond just kind of augmenting backend legacy systems is creating completely new classes of applications. A big example is creating you know single view of customer. You know most organisations that have got a lot of legacy systems, heritage systems that've been running over many years, have, for example, customer data strewn across them in all sorts of different places. So, how do you build a single view? And an ODL is a great solution to that. It can federate data from all of those backend systems, but then you can have some pretty. You have to think about all of the processes you need to reconcile that data, to cleanse it, to merge it before you can build this canonical single view of your customer. Um, and a further example of that, and this has really been prompted by this explosion in generative AI. You know, we all understand that generative AI is transformational. You know, businesses are really rushing to figure out how they can take advantage of gen AI without being disrupted themselves. But when everybody's got access to these very powerful large language models and foundation models, you know, your superpower differentiation comes from your data. How do you make sure you're feeding the right data into those models? Again, if you're having to extract it from multiple backend legacy systems, that's going to slow you down. So an ODL is a great solution there when you're trying to bring your data together so you can curate and feed up-to-date operational data through things like retrieval augmented generation to prompt and uh, feed your large language models so that you are, you are producing accurate, relevant outputs from those models that are grounded in... Uh, you know, up-to-date curated information. So we see operational data layers extending beyond just that kind of legacy modernization now into single view, been a very common use case and increasingly into 
uh, AI for model training, for model tuning, and mm-hmm. for, for model prompting. And so it's a very versatile approach. So the steps that you go through will really be, depend on your, um, uh, you know, w- what your end project is. But there's some standard things that you can, um, that, that you should jump into when you're building your ODL. Yeah. Um, so talk, talk about those. Yep. So if we start with discovery, I mean, I think that the best, so discovery is the first phase. This is where you're scoping the project. And what you really need to do is start by working backwards. So you start from who's going to consume data from this ODL. You know, what data do they need? Where are they pulling that data from today? What are they going to do with it? How fresh does that data need to be? So that discovery is really important. That should be the starting point. And then from there, you work backwards to figure out what are the source systems that hold that data and what sort of workloads are they servicing today? Uh, and what you should look to do then is to appoint data stewards. These are people who have an intimate knowledge of those source systems. They know the schema, they know the tables, they know the formats that the data is in. And to work with those data stewards to ensure that we're extracting just the right data that we need to feed those downstream consuming um, uh, uh, systems. And so from that discovery phase, we can then start to think about the schema that we need to um, uh, build to support the single view application, so the transformations we need to do, what that data model needs to look like, what the appropriate records are, uh, how we're going to hydrate and populate the single view, uh, the, the ODL, sorry, and keep that up to date. So these are, these are big questions. Can you, can you batch load data once a week, once a day, or do you need your systems to be much more real time, in which case you, you would think about, for example, putting some kind of CDC mechanism on the um, uh, you know, on the log of the uh, source uh, system. So equipping the log files with a CDC mechanism. So as soon as any data in those source systems change, your customer can send a transaction, for example, it can push that data out typically onto a Kafka topic, which the ODL can then consume and update its copy of the data and doing any transformations uh, along the way. So these are all things to think about as you move into building things like a single view, you need to think about how to merge data um, very often, you know, I'll give you an example. A couple of years ago, you know, it became pretty obvious to me that my home telco and broad, broadband provider had many different systems. And I was in one system, I was Matthew Keeping, another system, I was Matt Keeping, and the third system, I was Mr. M Keep. Well, how do you actually, how do you know that's the same person? Well, you need to start to build logic into your extraction layer that, that works on a common identifier. In this case, it's my email address. So you can work out that's the same person and then you can merge that data, standardize the data models and load it into your ODL. So this is where we start to get into more sophisticated examples. Um, but we, we, you know, we have a number, having worked on a number of these projects over many, many years, this is how a lot of large enterprises actually got started with MongoDB. And bear in mind that you know, more than 50% of the Fortune 100 have commercial relationships. They have you know, meaningful projects that are built on our technology. A lot of them got started with the OGL pattern. And so from that, we've developed a lot of expertise in our consulting organization. We've developed a lot of tools that can help with data merging and reconciliation. Of course, customers don't have to talk to us at all. They can go off and build all of this themselves. And that's great. But, you know, we can have, uh, we can bring expertise into, into the party as well to help them kind of de-risk that project and accelerate that project. So um, some of the projects can be pretty sophisticated. Some of them are relatively simple. What you often find with an ODL is it follows a maturity curve. So, you know, in the first implementation, like V1 of the, the ODL, it will be simply offloading reads from a, you know, a backend system. So that's fairly simple. Then you will start to go into what we call an enriched ODL, where you'll start to pull data from multiple systems and perhaps transform it in some way so that you can start to serve a new range of applications. And so that maturity curve continues. Very often you see ODLs move from like a system of engagement 
into a system of innovation. So actually, as you're building out new features, you do it on the ODL first and then push the changes back into the, um, into the backend kind of legacy systems. And so organizations are at different stages of that, uh, of that maturity curve. The projects can become, you know, start off fairly simple and then become much more sophisticated, serving more demanding needs of the business over time. So starting with reads and identifying where this information can be sourced and the key shifts in the technology is really implementation of the storage mechanism where this ODL will live. And that's where MongoDB comes in. Right. What, what products from the MongoDB platform should folks be interested in when starting to implement an architecture that incorporates an ODL? Well, what attracts a lot of people to you, or developers, especially to, to build their ODL on MongoDB is the flexibility of the data model, the document data model. Uh, if you are <clears throat> ingesting data from some backend source systems, what you don't want to do is, is create a, you know, like your canonical view of a data model, which then breaks as soon as any of those source systems and the backend changes because a new feature has been rolled out, for example. So that scheme of flexibility in MongoDB is incredibly valuable, especially if you're ingesting data from multiple source systems. You know, we have customers who have built customer single view and they're taking data from 70 backend systems, right? So you're trying to manage all of those and keep up with the changes and redefine your schema each time, migrate your schema each time is impossible. Um, hmm. So, you know, MongoDB makes that practical, but of course it can also enforce a structure on that data using schema governance based on JSON schema. We can ensure that for each record that we have that's ingested into the ODL, that specific fields are available, that there are a specific data type, they uh, are, are a specific range of acceptable values. So we can ensure data quality, but some of those fields can also be free from entirely dynamic. They can be polymorphic. So some customers maybe have one set of records, one set of fields to describe them, another set of customers have a completely different set of fields. You get that flexibility in MongoDB and it can, at runtime add new fields or remove things as you, as you need to do. So really exploiting the flexibility that JSON documents give you in data storage is, is key. But beyond being able to land and store that data, you also need to be able to query it. And so again, the query flexibility of MongoDB is something that attracts uh, a lot of developers. They can handle anything from simple lookups. Hey, here's a customer ID. Just give me the latest, you know, the, the, the single view copy of their record through to doing more complex aggregations, through to doing more complex transformations in the database, being able to use like full text search. So you can do fuzzy search on customer names or addresses and autocomplete through to using, you know, more, more sophisticated vector search technologies that we have today. If we're looking to uh, push that ODL data in the ODL into a, in, into a, into a large language model. So being able to use vector search um, across your ODL, you have all of that sophistication in MongoDB through one query syntax, through one driver. So when you take a combination of the data model versatility plus the query versatility, it means you can, your ODL can service many different use cases. What you'll find is if you build, for example, a single view application, it might be to support your customer service agents or your self-service portal. Many other people will find use for that data and they want to use it in new ways. So the data science team might want to use that data so they can start to build better predictions of what their customers might want in the future. Or your fraud department wants to use it. And we have a number of customers who have done that who can better uh, uh, identify fraudulent transactions and potentially you know, fake customers, for example. So there are many, many uses. So having that data model flexibility, that query flexibility is incredibly important. But you also need to lock that data down. Very often we're dealing with highly sensitive data. So those security mm -hmm. controls you get in MongoDB, which you can either you know, run yourself in, 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 
in the uh, you know on-premise self-managed version of MongoDB, or which are managed for you in MongoDB Atlas, are incredibly powerful uh, capabilities to ensure that you've got proper uh, stewardship and governance of, of that data. Technologies like queryable encryption, which we in- introduced earlier this year, so we can ensure that uh, client side, we can protect the most sensitive PII or PHI, make sure that that data can never inadvertently go into the into the single view in plain text form. It can never be used in a an NLM. It can never leak into the into the models that you're building. To get that very fine grained field level control is incredibly valuable for these more sophisticated ODL based applications. Yeah, the benefits of implementing an ODL are clear: increased flexibility. Ability to create a single view of the customer, for example. And then something that's driving literally every organization today is being able to leverage AI. And right. Now, leveraging AI is not, I don't think it's difficult, right? There's uh, ChatGPT, OpenAI has tools readily available, but the value comes in when you can enhance the artificial intelligence, enhance the large language model with operational data. That's where right. the key comes in and a really great benefit that IT decision makers can unlock is being able to access your data to enhance artificial intelligence, leveraging an ODL. So who, who's doing this today, Matt? Do we have referenceable customers? Yeah, we, we have a number of customers. I can give you a, a few examples. Um, so one actually in where I'm based in the UK, a company called Nationwide, who are the world's largest uh, building society. So this is like a bank, but it's actually owned by its, uh, by its members. So they have something like 15 million customers in the UK. They built something that they call the speed layer, and that's an operational data layer. And they did that to unlock more kind of real-time digital banking applications. They have all of their customer data stored back in, uh, mainframes, those are running all of the core banking systems. They've had mobile banking for over a, a, a decade. They started that in around 2012, so over a, over a decade. But they wanted to do much more with data. They wanted to bring that data together from branch systems, web apps, mobile. Uh, they wanted to make that data fresher, more real-time for their customers. But they also wanted to unlock kind of analytics against that data. So, you know, you, you can ask questions like, you know, tell me 10 interesting things about uh, about the all the transactions I've won, run recently, how can I match that with various offers from my partners? Now, trying to even innovate all of that on top of the mainframe or on top of a simple, simple cache would never have worked. So they moved to the um, ODL, an operational data layer, uh, where they can take real-time updates from those back-end core banking systems. And those systems, are you know, they feed events into Kafka. They, uh, they have a whole suite of microservices that are then listening for those events. They put them into the ODL where they can service these new applications, both applications that are customer facing, as well as um, more intelligent AI enriched applications that work against that customer data. So they, they did, you know, clearly, you know, banks are hand, holding, handling some of the most sensitive data uh, about us all. So uh, this is an incredible, this has given them an incredible way of really accelerating that uh, velocity of a whole set of new uh, projects across the, across the bank. So, that's one public example, and that's up on our website. You can dig in and learn more. They've given talks about that at MongoDB conferences about how they went and implemented that. So hopefully there are a lot of best practices. You know, beyond financial data, of course, the other key data, sensitive data that we will have around us is, is, is health data. And so another example is Humana in, you know, in the US who have decades worth of clinical, 
patient data, payer data. Uh, and one thing that's really been transforming healthcare industry is this standard called FIRE, which stands for Fast Healthcare Interoperability Resources, which allows much more seamless transfer of patient data in a very secure way between different clinical providers, healthcare providers, uh, and payers. And it just happens FIRE is based on JSON, exposed via RESTful API. So it's a brilliant match from MongoDB. But there's no way that Humana, with its all of its backend systems, both you know older like heritage mainframes as well as older relational databases, they couldn't expose all the digital services directly to those systems. And so they've built an operational data layer which extracts data from those old systems and puts it into MongoDB, uh, taking advantage of the very flexible document structure, taking advantage of you know RESTful APIs, but also the advanced security capabilities so we can protect that data. And this has enabled them, right, you know, with this, you know, single view of patient, this single record, they built this whole digital backbone that complies with, with the FIRE standard. And they were one of the first healthcare providers in the US to really exploit and use this standard. So they got a major competitive advantage by going with uh, uh, FIRE built on, on, on MongoDB. So that's another example uh, of, of how ODLs uh, are being used. Hmm. So it's a lot of great information. I understand this has been codified into a white paper. Is that correct? There is, yes. There is a, an ODL white paper, best practices on implementing uh, that that type of uh, system. So that's available uh, on our website. I think, I guess you probably put that in the yeah, show we'll, notes as well. Th yeah, we'll put no that in the show notes. Mm -hmm. There's no kind of registration in front of it. We're not harvesting users' details from that. You can just freely download it. And it provides links to additional case studies, to additional resources, to some of the methodologies uh, that you can use in implementing different types of ODLs. And yes, we have codified and captured those best practices in a white paper to really help architects and developers kind of explore the art of the possible and how MongoDB could potentially be a fit for them in, in, in this project. Yeah. You've got such a deep knowledge of this space and data. Talk to the listeners about how you came to that level of experience. You've been in this field for quite some time. Yeah, I have probably, uh, my wife thinks maybe longer than is strictly healthy, but, uh, <laughs> I, um, I've been with, I joined Mongo to be back in July, uh, of 2013. So, uh, over a decade ago and I was initially working, I'm part of the product team. So I help, I work with our customers, work with community, uh, to understand the sorts of features and capabilities that they need to be successful. They want us to build. And so I work with engineering as part of project definition and then take those features out, launch them, make, you know, make people aware of what it is that we've built. So I, I worked on every release of the server from uh, server. I mean, the core MongoDB database from 2013, right way through to the release of MongoDB 5.0 a few years ago. This is where we introduced things like native time series collections. We introduced things like the stable API. Um, and then I, I kind of decided, I decided that there were other opportunities as we were expanding our own platform beyond the database into areas like search and, and, and most recently stream processing, I've spent some time there. So work with uh, Atlas Search, which is, you know, keyword text search on top of your data. Uh, more recently, Vector Search, really exciting space. Again, we spoke about that a couple of times during this session where we can, developers can very easily start to prompt and train and tune their models with uh, AI models with, with vectorized data stored in MongoDB. Um, I spent a little bit of time working on our new app, Stream Processing, which we announced in um, in June uh, a few mm -hmm. months ago. And it's really exciting because MongoDB clearly has always been about working with data at rest. With Stream Processing, you can now to start work with data in motion in flight. So you can continuously query that data and take action against it 
real time. So building highly reactive, responsive applications. And I think what App Stream Processing does, because it uses the same very flexible data model to, to store events and messages, it uses the same very versatile query API that we have in Mongo, the same drivers. It really helps developers break down that barrier between data in motion, data at rest, to build completely new classes of, you know, really intelligent, modern, uh, responsive and flexible um, uh, application. So that's a really, ex that's an area that I'm really uh, excited about. But prior to Mongo, I worked, you know, close to 10 years uh, at MySQL, so in the, in the relational world and going even further back, I was with um, uh, some microsystems working as part of what we called the Boz initiative. But Boz was Veritas, Oracle's son, very often described in the late mm. 90s as the three horsemen of the, the internet back at the time. And so, um, but, you know, back in the day. So, in a, you know, a really exciting time. But my career has been really built around data and, and data systems and seen this terrific evolution and just what developers can build now compared to where we were when I came into the industry is, you know, night and day. And um, the whole arrival of AI and Gen AI changes that again. So really exciting space to work in. It's a real privilege to work with the developers who choose to use MongoDB and innovate on top of it. Yeah. So Matt, you've seen quite a bit. You've seen all of the changes. I mean, 2013 is way back for MongoDB. What's one of the most exciting things or innovations that's come out from the MongoDB platform? You know, I, I think for me, it's, it's actually making the database even more invisible to the developer by doing, by storing data and documents that look, look just like objects they're working with in code. And then by exposing that, that, that data to them through a set of, you know, query API and drivers, which again, are very idiomatic to the programming language that they're working in, whether that's Java or JavaScript or Python or uh, Go, whatever it may be, so they can really work with data as code. And while, you know, the database has become ever more critical and we've expanded the database with its range of features and capabilities, the fact is, you know, we want developers to just work with data seamlessly. Every application is being built, it's built on data. There is something like, I think IDC say there's something like uh, three quarters of a billion apps, three quarters of a million apps, I can't remember the precise number. It's a huge number, right? Three quarters of a billion, I think it is. They're going to be built over the next two or three years Every one of those will need a database, but developers shouldn't have to be spending all of their time. Developers consistently tell us that working with a database is the hardest part of building any application. And with MongoDB, we're really trying to make that very easy, very straightforward. So whether you're building an operational data layer, whether you're building a web or mobile app, whether you're building an AI-powered app, MongoDB should help you get there faster and not hold you back. And um, mm. that's what I think is the most exciting innovation because there's just, even with generative AI and Copilot and code assistance, they're just are oh, low code and no code tools. Developers are still heart, you know, heart and center to every business. And um, you know, having giving them tools that helps them to be more productive, to keep up with this demand for the business, to be more creative, reduce toil and bolt boilerplate that just slows and bogs them down. This is really what I find exciting about MongoDB and what we provide. Yeah. There's going to be a link in the show notes. It's mdb.link slash ODLWP for ODL white paper. Make sure you check the show notes to get access to that. There's no requirement to give your email address or anything like that. Matt, what are some of the mistakes that people have made in implementing an ODL? Um, I think rushing to the solution without doing a lot of discovery up front to figure out exactly how uh, this ODL is going to be used by consuming systems and they're not bringing the teams with them. You know, if, if you have been a number of years, you know, building, uh, you know, applications that manage your customer data, for example, and somebody suddenly someone's coming on knocking your door and saying, hey, we need you to 
give us this data without really setting the, the rationale for it, without building that change management process, without building that acceptance. So it tends to not be the technology failures. It tends to be more the, the, the failure in, in the people and process side, not bringing teams with you. We see so many digital transformation projects that organizations are involved in way above the database, right? The huge company, you know, breaking down legacy applications, you know, monolith to microservices and serverless and agile and all these kind of buzzwords that have been around for many, many years. Invariably, it's not the technology that fails, it's the people that fail because they don't set the vision. They don't bring the company with them. Um, and that's probably the biggest thing. You know, if you're not going to, uh, if, if you're asking people to share their data to expose it to a whole bunch of new applications you may be building, if you haven't built that rationale with them, you haven't built that relationship with them, why are they going to work with you to, uh, you know, cooperate on this project? So really that, 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 that people process side is, is, is so critical. Is there a critical mass at which a company should start to think about implementing an ODL or is this something that people can implement quite early on? Um, I, I think it's something that people can implement quite early on. Don't think because you're not like a 30, 40, 50 year old business um, with a whole bunch of back end kind of existing applications and ODL isn't, it isn't for you. The fact is a lot of applications are growing really fast. A lot of businesses are growing quickly, even younger businesses who have, who have implemented, for example, microservices-based architectures, which give them incredible benefits. But it also means that data can be fragmented even across newer systems. So an ODL can help them bring that data together. Remember, if you're building like a single view or you're building uh, so a single view of your customer, if you're, if you're looking to feed your AI models, an ODL is fantastic, even in the early stages of an organization, to federate that data, bring it together so you can curate it. What's different is this is real-time operational data. We're not talking about, you know, building a data lake or a data warehouse. There are, that, that not, that's not our gig, right? There are other companies out there who do that really well, right? With Databricks or Snowflake or whatever it may be, companies that we, we work very closely with. Um, but for an operator, they're not operational systems, right? If you're looking to feed, you know, real-time operational data in your applications, in your microservices, make that data available to AI, make that data available to your single view because it's powering your your self-service portal or your customer service apps. You can't do that off of stale data sitting in a data lake or a data warehouse. That's, 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 that's what we do. Hmm. So what I heard was take a phased approach, start with discovery and then work backwards, appoint stewards for the data streams that you're going to incorporate in your ODL and pick a use case that's achievable. I think the, the thing that I was thinking is don't boil the ocean. Pick a, a single use case, maybe start with a single view and then answer questions like how, how are you going to keep this hydrated? How are you going to implement, how are you going to implement real time or batch, whether it's through CDC or, or log farming, merging data from your online systems? Uh, what else should people be thinking about? Any, any additional advice? Um, I, I think you've covered a lot of things that start from the, the start from the who's going to consume the data and work back from there, because that really will help you understand where you need to get data from and how that data is going to be structured and queried. So you know, start from the consumer uh, of the, of the, of the data in the ODN and work back from that. But I also, you know, think about AI, um, as we mentioned before, you know, your superpower comes from your data. How are you going to organize your operational data and keep your models grounded in real time, up-to-date application data An operational data layer is a very efficient way to do that. Um, but also if you're, if you're on a path towards legacy modernization, AI can help you in that development process through products like the, the relational migrator that we introduced that can analyze your existing relational schema 
and help you uh, reformat that, restructure that into a, into a JSON document. But also through AI tools, uh, AI code generation we have in, as in the relation to Migrator, we can also migrate application side code. We can migrate stored procedures. It's not, let's be clear, it's not one button and you can take thousands of lines of stored procedures and get it into, uh, you know, uh, uh, into a modernized you know, query language. But it can certainly take a lot of the, the tedious boilerplate uh, away from those processes. So um, that's a great way. If, if ODL is a path to you for legacy modernization, we have ODL, uh, uh, AI-driven tools and ODLs that can help you uh, on, on that path to modernization. Yeah, something we should definitely mention again, Relational Migrator. I've done uh, some talks on this and it's just a phenomenal tool to get you started. It's it's relatively easy to, to implement. It's a downloadable application. It connects to your relational systems, gives you an ERD, a, a good view of the schemas that you're working with on the source systems, and then lets you envision from a very simple one-to-one -one table to collection view, and then gives you the, the freedom to create new rules on how you'll move to a, a document database. So definitely check out Relational Migrator. I'll include a link in the show notes to the MongoDB Relational Migrator. Matt, thank you so much for joining me today. Such a wealth of knowledge. Any parting thoughts? I think we've covered everything. Really enjoyed um, talking to you and talking to the audience. And I hope it's useful. Once again, thanks to Matt Keep for joining us today. Be sure to check the show notes for links to the resources we discussed on today's show. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment, give us a rating, leave a comment, let us know what you liked, and maybe even what you'd like to hear. This is going to help us improve the show. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.